This week on Glistening Particles. That was kind of my hope for the magazine is that like I know not everyone can travel. I hope that people you know, try to make it a priority in their lives. But if they can't, that through this kind of like armchair travel to like reading our stories, they can still like learn about the world. This is Glistening Particles and I'm Jane, your host. I like to hear inspiring stories for people that I barely know and share them with you. And that's what we do here. I never know how it's going to go. I never know what they're going to say, but it's always a good story. Before we get started, I want to take a moment to thank you for listening. I'd love to start connecting with you, my listeners. If you'd like to share your thoughts about this episode or any of the episodes, watch for posts for each of them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I can imagine the energy of connecting over these inspiring people's stories. I mean, maybe, just maybe, you have the same passion, or maybe you've been wanting to talk to someone with this thing going on. Yes, we need to talk. Come find me. In this episode, I'm talking with Rebecca Holland. She's a world traveler, a writer, and the creator of Curiosity Magazine. It's kind of like she got in my head and said, what would Jane like to read? And then she made it. Not kidding, it's amazing. And I can't wait for you to hear it all, but I'm not giving you any spoilers. Okay, wait, I'll give you one. So as our conversation unfolded, I learned that she literally grew up like 10 miles from where I live. So over Thanksgiving break, we're gonna meet in person and follow up. And here's Rebecca. Hey, listeners! I'm here today with Rebecca Holland from Curiosity Magazine. And it's one of those really cool stories where she came to me in the best way. So this uh, young lady, Erin, who was almost my adopted daughter, not really, but she felt like it because she was with us so much when she was young. She hung out with my son, Sam. We reconnected and she said, hey, I was listening to your podcast and shared it with my friend, Rebecca, and here we are. Hey, Rebecca. Hi. Thanks for um, showing up here today. I thought you were all the way over in New York, but you're (laughs) in Chicago, not that far from me. Yep. Let's tell the listeners what it is that we're going to talk, well, basically about the magazine. Let's start there. Sure. Yeah. So Curiosity Magazine, it's the magazine for the socially conscious traveler is what we like to say. We started in July. It's founded by me and my brother, Robert. And we started it because, well, for a few different reasons. One, I was a freelance travel writer. Still, I'm a freelance travel writer for a bunch of other different magazines and was frustrated when I was trying to pitch stories that were about like bigger issues that also related to travel and food, but were more than just like top 10 things you should see in Rome or something. And so I was having a hard time placing those stories and was like, I'll just start my own publication for them. And then two, because I think that there are a lot of local writers around the world who are not always represented in 
American or European media outlets, and they obviously have way more expertise on the places that they live than foreign journalists going there and writing about them. And so mm -hmm. I wanted to have a magazine that also gave a voice to all of these local writers who can give so much more context to places and provide so much more interesting, insightful stories. And so those are kind of the two main reasons we started it. So you said since June? We launched July 1st. July 1st. Okay. And is it a print or an online magazine? So far, it's just online. Okay. I would love to do print eventually, but right now we're online. Okay. I mean, every point that you hit there would be points that I would want to know more about. Because <laughs> when I travel, for sure, I would rather go see something like really, truly local and connect with the local people than see all the tourist sites. So all of my travel is designed around that as much as I can control it. And I was talking with you about that when I go to Italy. I want to know all the inside places of not what I can find on the by Googling it, basically. So, so far, have you had people from other countries submit articles in the magazine? So most of our articles are from local journalists. So I have written for us a bit, and so has Robert. But for the most part, we have other people submitting articles. And so anyone can pitch us. It's pitches at curiositymag.com is our okay. email. And we prefer stories that give more insight to a place so that kind of touch on social issues or politics or things, but talk about those issues through traveler food. So mm -hmm. we just had a story about Mozambique and how, you know, fishing there is a huge part of people's livelihoods, but also is kind of destroying the ocean there. And how these new organizations are starting new job training programs. And so that was kind of a social issue, but also had a travel element about, you know, Mozambique and fishing and things like that. So anyway, that's a sidetrack. No, I think that's a great, that's a great example, because I think that's how all stories should be. They should all have a conscious, you know, a socially conscious aspect to them. Yeah. And so on more of a specifically travel related mm -hmm. article, we had one called How to Travel Better in Italy. And so that one was written by a writer in Rome. Her name is Livia Hengel. And that one was more about how Italy is this very touristy place that is, you know, yeah, one of the most visited places in the world for many reasons. It has tons of history and sites and great food. But when you visit, people only go to Rome and Florence and Venice and Capri and kind of miss out on some of the smaller towns, which in some cases actually hurts Italy. Like mm -hmm. Venice, for example, is really overcrowded and mm -hmm. there are a lot of things that visitors can do that actually help. So this article is about how to be a better traveler in Italy, which is things like explore a region instead of trying to explore the whole country at once or explore in the off season or visit more local restaurants and things that aren't always on like the top lists. Um, right because that helps the local economy and stuff. So we have articles like that that are travel focused, but also talk about like some of the more like economic and social aspects as well. I like that. You know, um, when I decided that I wanted to go to Italy when I was probably about like six and I haven't been there yet, so I'm still working on that. Um, when I decided that, more recently, I decided on Facebook to make my location be where I wanted to go. So I just like randomly picked a spot in Italy and it's Lucca, Italy. Oh, yeah. I've never Let's been there, but down. that's my hometown, just so everyone knows <laughs> in Facebook. So yeah, I know well, that when I go, go. Now you've like manifested it. Right. I have to go there specifically. And that's what I want to do. I can't, I'm not really big into touristy things. I just did LA with my son and he wanted to go to every touristy thing. And I almost like imploded by the end of the week. It was just overwhelming. So I love that there's an article like that that I can go reference and look for information. Yeah, and I think people can do a mix. I mean, some, I'm not 100% against touristy things. Obviously, some of them are touristy for a reason because they are 
really amazing. Like if you come to Rome, like the Colosseum, if you've never been, like you should go because, you know, a lot of touristy things are also UNESCO World Heritage Sites and have a ton of history and have like there's a reason they're so popular. But mixed in with that, you should do some more like local things. So mm-hmm. I think if you could kind of try to mix up your trip and have like half touristy, half not, especially if it's the first time you're visiting a place. And then if you go back, you can, you know, forget the tourist stuff. That sounds like a good plan. So how did you become this expert on tourism and travel? So I actually never left the U.S. until I was 21, I think. I studied abroad in Jordan, and that was the first time I ever left the country, which was kind of a big culture shock to go from the Midwest to the Middle East. But it was great. And after that, I became pretty much obsessed with travel. And so I came back and finished one semester of school, and then I graduated. And then my best friend from college and I traveled for like eight months after school and we went all around like Southeast Asia and the Middle East. And then from there, I just basically was like, well, this is a huge part of our life now and I can (laughs) never not do it. And so I moved to DC, but still kind of traveled as much as possible. And then eventually moved to Italy and then living there, it was extremely easy to travel because getting around Europe is just there's like, you know, cheap flights and it's like going between states in the U.S. Like it's a lot smaller. And so it was easy to travel a lot. And then I moved back to the Middle East and traveled a lot around there. So it just kind of became a priority for me. And yeah, through traveling a lot and also revisiting places like multiple times, I think helps you become more of a expert on them rather than only going once and just kind of seeing the main sites, like you said. So yeah, that's kind of it, although I wouldn't say it. like there are many, many places that I am definitely not an expert on. And that's why we have local writers. But Well, you know, I always think with everything new that I try, I always love it better almost every time the second time. You know what I mean? I always like that. Like you, the first time it's that your brain soaking in all the different things that you just never imagined. And then mm-hmm. you want to go back again and let it like really permeate, you know? Mm-hmm. So Jordan, that's an interesting choice for traveling or for going to study abroad. What brought that on? Yeah, I was studying journalism and Middle Eastern studies and basically wanted to be a war correspondent. I was like, all the news is in the Middle East right now. This was in 2009. And, you know, so Iraq and Afghanistan were really important for the U.S. at the time, or I guess still are. And so I was like, well, this is where the news is. And so I need to learn more about the Middle East and I need to learn either Arabic or Farsi. And so I studied Farsi all through college, which is what they speak in Iran and parts of Afghanistan. They speak a dialect of it. And so it was actually kind of stupid. I should have studied Arabic because (laughs) I couldn't study abroad in Iran. And so I went to Jordan and studied Arabic there for a semester, but then, or for a summer, but then, you know, came back to school and continued studying Persian. So it wasn't really actually that useful. And I still don't speak Arabic, which is one of my biggest life regrets. But (laughs) um, so I chose Jordan partly because I wanted to go to the Middle East and partly because I couldn't go to Iran. But I, yeah, I just thought it'd be really interesting and something really different. And again, like a lot of the news is in the Middle East. And I thought I should learn more about it, Um, even though, you know, Jordan wasn't really the place that most people were writing about at the time, but it was one of the few study abroad options. And also my friend who I traveled with after school, she was studying abroad there and she had traveled a lot more than I had up until that point. And she kind of like pushed me to do it. So okay. I owe her basically for my entire life of travel. <laughs> <laughs> we all need a person like that though, right? You might, your story might be the story that has somebody else do it. I never did it. I was too afraid to do it. And I'm trying so hard to get my son to do it. I think it Well, just from the little bit of travel I've done so far, I feel like it's been life-changing because we just can't see when we're in the same place all the time. 
I can't even imagine being a young woman like yourself and going across the world to a place like Jordan or in the Middle East in this world and not being terrified. I mean, well, one, I was with a school group, so it was a lot less intimidating than I think if you, if I would have just gone by myself and traveled. So, you know, everything's kind of set up for you. You get there and you're with your school group and they take you to your dorms and, you know, on the first weekend they took us to Petra and all the main sites and we went with a group. So that was like a really easy intro. But in general, I think that I love the Middle East and now I have traveled a lot around, like all over, almost every country in the Middle East. And I have never found it really scary in any way. Obviously, in some areas, it's dangerous just because of circumstantial things, like there could be a car bombing or something Mm -hmm. like that. Like I was living in Iraq last year, and the area that I was living was extremely safe. But if you were in other areas, it could be dangerous. But for the most part, it's really not. And especially, like what's dangerous about it is if there happens to be something happening in that country, like a war, obviously, like I wouldn't go to Syria right now. But just for like being a person, you're not going to be, like no one's going to target you because you're American visiting the Middle East for for the most part, in most mm-hmm. countries, like especially like in Jordan or Lebanon or somewhere. I don't know. Sorry, maybe we can edit this part out. No, no, no. Actually, I'm I, I, I'm really, I'm, I'm listening really well because I think that it's a misconception that we have, or not we, but I for sure have as an American who hasn't traveled outside of the U.S., I have this misconception about my safety in certain countries. And so I like the fact that you're giving more firsthand information around that. Yeah, like I'm trying to say, it's not as safe as other places. Like, I don't want to say, oh, the Middle East is safe and mislead people and tell them that they can go to somewhere like Syria and that it'll be totally fine because that's mm-hmm. not the case right now. But for the right. most part, well, yeah, for sure. Right. <laughs> nobody's so sa- like, nobody's oh. safe in Syria right now. Nobody. <laughs> right. Be like, but at the same time, like, it's way safer than people think, especially than Americans think. It's not like, I guess as a podcast, people can't see, but I'm very pale and very blonde. And that is not what has never been a problem. And people are always like, oh, you're so blonde. Like, isn't the Middle East scary? Or like, oh, you're a woman right. there traveling alone. And really, it's not like people are like, for the most part, very friendly, just like visiting any country. There's people who are friendly and people who are not. And I think that like, yeah, you have to dress a little bit more modestly and stuff. But it's it's not like what people in the US think. People are always like, oh, do you have to like completely cover your hair and stuff? And like, no, you don't. If you're visiting like Iran or Saudi Arabia or like, Afghanistan, yes, but really, otherwise, you don't. There are more tourists, I think, than people in the U.S. think. Like there are a lot of European tourists who go to the Middle East all the time, and it's like not an issue. And people really are like so friendly, and people will kind of stare at you a lot. I think usually more of curiosity, but never actually do anything like creepy. Really, it's kind of like yeah, there's maybe a lot of like looks, but if you can get past people staring at you, which I feel like is fine, then there's not actually that much danger. That's good. Especially in comparison to like, I mean, Chicago can be, like anywhere can be dangerous. So I don't think any more dangerous than almost anywhere else that you can visit alone as a woman. That's good to know. I really did not know that. So I, I like that you're clarifying that for me. Like my niece, who actually would probably resemble you, you guys could probably be sisters. She <laughs> went to study in Chile and she was really concerned about it and she ended up like dyeing her hair dark brown and you know changing a little bit about how she looked because she was given information that that would be a better way to travel there and she did have a couple of risky situations not like super risky but just things that made her realize she wasn't as safe as she is here 
Yeah, and I mean, it can be, that's, I think, another thing that, like, traveling as a woman in general is not that safe. I mean, it's safe, but it's also, like, it's risky anywhere you go. Like, there are creepy guys anywhere in the world, including in the U.S., and so I don't think that the Middle East has, like, a monopoly on creepy guys. It's just that, like... (laughs) You heard it here. You heard it here, (laughs) So, like, you go, oh, you know, you're a woman in the Middle East, that must be scary, but, like, at the same time in Italy, people get catcalled all the time. Oh, ciao, bella, and, like, no one... For some reason, that's considered charming, whereas in the Middle East, it's considered creepy. And I think that's very weird. And like, it's not, I don't know, like, no matter what, if you're a girl traveling alone, people are going to give you more attention or stare at you. And it's not any more in the Middle East than I think other places. So how do you keep yourself safe? Is there any like specific things that you feel like you have to do? I mean, it depends on the place. So I just said that, you know, nowhere is really dangerous, but there are some places that are, I would probably say a little more risky than others just as far as like walking at night and things like there are a lot of places including in the U.S. where I probably after dark like don't go out alone as much usually I try to tell someone where I am obviously or where I'm going I don't travel alone that much to be honest like I usually travel with a friend or with my boyfriend so I think if I'm traveling with a friend even if it's other girlfriend I usually feel pretty comfortable walking around and stuff but if I was traveling alone I was in India earlier this year alone and like after dark, it did feel a little sketchy walking around at night. And Mm -hmm. so probably just being like pretty, I don't know, like extra safe about that. And well, I mean, asking people, right? Like understand, asking the locals that you are friends with, what's the, you know, what's safe? Like I had a friend who was just in, I think, well, somewhere in South Africa and where they were staying specifically, they were told not to go walking out at night. I mean, and it wasn't like it was scary. It was just like, don't go walk at night. This is just not what you do. Right. And definitely knowing like areas and things too, and doing research ahead of time, you shouldn't just show up somewhere and assume that like, yeah, you can walk around. Like they're definitely same as in Chicago. Like I wouldn't like someone wouldn't just show up to Chicago and go like wander around the South side of Chicago alone. Like that would be bad. So I think that that's kind of the same anywhere. Like you should just do your research and know which areas are safe and which are not. And usually the same areas that are safe for locals are probably also safe for tourists. And yeah, just kind of like keeping, I mean, it's really easy now with the internet and also like I have T-Mobile. I don't know how people do, but uh-huh. T-Mobile has like your phone works anywhere in the world. So it's right. really easy to text someone and just be like, hey, like this is where I am or something like that. Isn't that amazing? I know I have a rise and it's the same thing now. And what blows my mind, I know, I don't even think I could travel without that because I use the GPS for everything. I can't find my mm-hmm. way anywhere. So yeah, it's enabled so much more freedom, I think, and, and safety for that reason. Yeah. yeah. So with all of your travels so far, do you have a place that's your favorite? Uh, this is so hard. Um, <laughs> you probably get that a lot. I really, really love Jordan. I'm not sure. Like part of it is definitely that it's the first place I ever traveled. It's very nostalgic to me. I've been back there like seven times since. I have really good friends there. So part of it is that. And part of it is that it's really just an amazing country. Like for being so small, there's a huge variety of things to do. So you can mm-hmm. go to Petra, which is this amazing archaeological site and one of the world wonders, and it's beautiful. And then you can go, you know, camping in the desert, and you can go to the Dead Sea, and you can go to the Red Sea and go snorkeling, and then you can go to Amman, which is like just a big city, which also mm-hmm. has a lot of Roman ruins. And then you can go north, where there are way more ruins, and it's kind of like the start of civilization. So there's tons of history there, and so it really has a huge variety of things to do, all with been a few hours of each other because Mm -hmm. it's pretty small so if you went there on like a 10-day trip you could actually see a lot 
I also think it has some of the best food in the world. And so I really love Jordan. I also really, really love Italy. And again, I think that's because I lived there for almost three years and have, you know, really close friends there and a lot of like, it just, you know, it was like home for a while. So I'm not sure if both of those two would be my favorite places if I just visited, but they are because I lived there. Oh, your heart's, part of your heart's there, right? I know. I keep, people keep asking me why I go to this specific area of Northern California. I'm like, it was my first solo place. It was my, (laughs) that's where I like planted some roots. Now I'm there. What about places you haven't been yet? Is there one that's sort of like calling you and you haven't been able to get there yet? Yeah, a lot of places, actually. I haven't really been to most, I mean, almost anywhere in Africa. It's a huge continent, lots and lots of countries. And I've been to a few countries in the north, but not really anywhere else. And so I love to do a safari. I think that would be amazing, either in Tanzania or South Africa. I really, really want to go to Namibia. looks beautiful. And then I also haven't really been to South South America at all, which seems crazy because it's not that far away. But I just have not been there, Mm -hmm. so kind of all over South America, I think be interesting. Colombia especially is really high on my list. But yeah, there's a lot of the world that I have not been to yet. Well, when you decide um, you want to start planning your safari, we just had somebody on the show and he's got, he actually, that's what he does. So he's from South Africa. Yeah. And his name is Craig. I always mess up his name. Glathard, I think. Glathard. And I think you'll really want to listen to him. So we'll get that, get that out to you. It does seem like the world is so small now because we can talk with people from anywhere and we can go everywhere and all of that. But how do you get over that hump? Like, I haven't left the country yet. And I think about, like, I totally want to go to to Europe. And there's, like, I have a long list of places I want to go. But then when I get to the point where I'm starting to plan it, I'm like, can I really do this by myself? Will I be okay? Because I'll probably be traveling alone the first time. What can you tell someone like me who has sort of got that fear, a little bit of fear tied into making the leap? So, well, one is just, it's just way less scary than you think. I think once you <laughs> actually do it, you'll be like, whoa, this is way easier than I expected. But definitely understand that like getting over that first leap is really hard. My mom never left the country until she came to visit me in Italy, actually, which I think was hopefully pretty easy because she was just coming to see me. Mm-hmm. But I think it still is like a push to get people to leave. I think part of it is that the U.S. is really isolated. Like We're just really far away from everything. So mm-hmm. to actually get somewhere, it's not like, oh, you can just hop over to this country. It's like a long flight and it seems like more of a journey. And so it seems more intimidating. But like, I guess if you, I don't really plan that much when I travel because I, I don't know, I'm just like bad at travel planning. I'm like, oh, let's go and figure it out. But I think that if you are going to be going somewhere for the first time, planning would be really, really helpful. I think that in general, with the more preparation you have for anything, the more comfortable you are with it. And so mm-hmm. travel would definitely fit into that. So if you had done a ton of research and really knew, you know, like where you were going and knew, you know, maybe researched some helpful phrases and things. Although I also think that people are always intimidated by language and don't realize like two things, like one, how widely English is spoken around the world and two, how much you really can convey by like mining. Like it's pretty easy <laughs> and if people are used to it, you, you can like always get by with like hand signals and kind of talking right through it or just like, I don't know, people figure it out. And so I don't think the language thing should be a barrier, but I know that people get really intimidated by that. Like one of my best friends in um, Chicago, like my childhood best friend, she gets really intimidated about travel and language is a huge part of the reasoning. She's like, Mm -hmm. what if something bad happens and I can't communicate? And I think that's a fear that a lot of people have and people just don't realize like you will be able to communicate. Like Mm -hmm. there's always someone who speaks English, which is something that people in the U S can like really take for granted. And sometimes I feel bad about, but 
there's usually someone who speaks English or like you really can say a lot with hand gestures. And <laughs> Well, don't so, our phones come in handy for that too? Now, aren't yeah, there apps that actually will like live translate as you're exactly. speaking? Yeah. Right. So you can hold your phone up to, I think with the Google Translate app, you can hold your phone up to like menus and things and it will just translate the photos for you. And, you know, Google Maps helps a lot. Like it's pretty hard to get lost these days and things. So I think that it's not that helpful advice, but to say like, just go and do it and you'll realize it's way easier than you think is really just like the best way. Okay. So I've got to get over the fear. That's step number one. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm mostly not afraid. I think it's just the idea of going all the way over there by myself, leaving my kids here and just the, I can't screw this up. You know what I mean? Like I have to get back. I have to come back. Yeah. So well, that's like probably. You will. I mean, yeah. And yeah. also I think that people are really friendly. Like I think mm-hmm. that people underestimate how helpful other humans That's are. True. And so, you know, if, if someone came up to you and was like, oh, I'm really lost. Like, of course you would help them. And it's right. the same anywhere. I've had like very, very, very few, like, I can't even think, I can think of maybe like two bad travel experiences and almost, you know, everyone is like super helpful and friendly. Mm-hmm. And nice. Do you yeah. ever, ever have in your travels experiences where you felt unwelcome as an American? There's so many myths. You know what I mean? There's all these myths like, oh, people in France, everybody in France doesn't like Americans, you know, (laughs) (laughs) which I hope isn't true. You think Paris is the only place that I've been that's like slightly less friendly, but it's still beautiful and you should still go. But (laughs) I, China maybe, but I don't even know if that was that we were American or that, uh, I'm not sure. I actually think not really. And I think that is kind of a a myth. Like people will definitely make comments like, oh, Americans are so loud or Americans are so ignorant. But they also make those comments about Australians or British people and stuff. And it's like, you know, this is why I think Americans should travel because then we can change that stereotype. The more Americans who are not obnoxious and who are actually trying to learn about a place are like, then the better, you know, the more people who travel and show that, oh, Americans aren't just whatever these depictions are that people for some reason have, the better. So I, I don't really think I've actually had a lot of taxi drivers and things tell me, like, oh, Americans are so friendly, which I think is nice. And in the Middle East, where people are, like in Iraq, where I think a lot of people have a bad view of Americans or, like, sometimes maybe should not like Americans because of things we've done there, they don't really – it gets different if you're a tourist. Like, I think people are able to separate, like, oh, you are not your government or something. So right. people are, yeah, generally really friendly, and I don't think – I don't know. That's interesting. I think about that a lot, actually, because a lot of Americans are like, oh, I'm going to pretend I'm Canadian when I travel. And that makes me so (laughs) mad. Don't pretend you're Canadian when you travel. Be American and just be a good American and then you'll change your mind. Like, don't pretend to be Canadian. So I I do that on the show, actually. I pretend I'm Canadian (laughs) most of the time. (laughs) I think that in some places, like if you were traveling to Iran or something like that might be more necessary. But with the exception of like two or three countries in the world, like you don't need to do that. And I would much prefer people just be good Americans that show right. people that not all Americans are annoying or stupid or whatever. <laughs> so you kind of, this is kind of a heavier question than I've asked so far. But since the new administration, the Trump administration, has that changed your experience as a traveler at all? If you have uh, any yeah, yes. commentary? It has changed my experience. Actually, I guess the question you just asked, people do not don't seem unwelcome to Americans since the Trump administration, but they do seem to make fun of us more. So a Mm. lot of people make more comments like, Oh, how did you guys elect him? Or like this. And you're like, yeah, I know I didn't vote for him, but a difference was, so when Obama was president, people really respected us and loved us. It seemed like maybe not loved us, but definitely 
had some respect. Mm -hmm. And it seems like now it's kind of a joke. Mm -hmm. Although a lot of countries in Europe are kind of going in the same way politically. So I don't think they can really say anything. But um, (laughs) yeah, it definitely has changed just in like comments that people make. Like I was just in Malaysia and we were on this snorkeling trip and these people were like, oh, like, the U.S., like, Trump, haha, and I was like, it's actually not funny if you live there, like, it might right. be funny for people to be right. watching, but if you're actually living here, it's terrible, um, or, like, these two guys on the same snorkeling trip are from Algeria, and they were talking about how they wanted to get visas to come like, study and work in the U.S., and how, you know, now they can't because of the Trump administration, and so things like that, like, I do think it makes us look bad and unwelcoming, and, but I think that people still kind of separate from people who are traveling. I think they also assume like if you're traveling, especially to places outside of Europe, they kind of assume like, well, you probably didn't vote for Trump, which isn't always true, but for the most part probably is. And so, yeah, it hasn't changed like my personal experience that much and that people are not unfriendly or hateful or anything, but it's more like people just make comments now and either kind of make fun of it or like seriously ask, how did this happen? And you're like, well, you know, there's a lot of different factors and trying to right. explain it is a little exhausting over and over. Well, do we even understand how it happened? I mean, that's the thing that I like, and I, that's the thing I can't explain. How did that, I, how did that happen? I remember uh, of all the elections I've been part of in my life, that was the first one where I felt sick the next day, oh, yeah, like horrible. sick. Sick, sick. And I think the thing I've seen shift since he's been in office, though, is that originally the people that I knew around, you know, internationally that I would talk to about it were they were scared. They were scared about what what's going to happen. And now it's more of just a big joke. Now it's just like laughable. Right. It's laughable for some people and then scary for those of us who live here. And then really sad for a lot of people in countries who are trying to come here like there's a lot of refugees around the world from Syria and Myanmar and all over and you know the U.S. should be accepting more of them and it's really scary and sad for those people I think who who probably would have had a much higher chance of being able to come here before. Oh yeah there's a lot of I mean yeah there's a lot of sad but I think generally there's been a shift from like total fear to oh this is a joke you know what I mean Uh, generally speaking but yeah it's it, it it makes me want to travel more around the world, even more, and just see more. And and that's especially why I want to take my kids to see other places because, and I think I've learned this from talking with so many people internationally, that I it changed my worldview for sure. You know, over the last five years, before the podcast, I was already in some mastermind groups and things like that with people in different countries. And it just changed me. I'm not the same person anymore. And it was because I was in a bubble. You know, I was in this little Midwest bubble and everything was right here. And now I can see a whole different world. And I'm so excited to be able to see that firsthand. And I think for my kids, it will change them. It, it has to. You can't go there to other places and not change. Yeah, I think that it's really, really important that people travel. I think that the more you travel, the more open-minded you become. It's just kind of impossible not to be because you're just exposed to so much more. And you meet people who you become friends with who are from places really different than you or have really different backgrounds mm-hmm. than you. And it's the same in the U.S. too, even, I think that not everyone can travel internationally and I like travel is expensive and difficult and time consuming. And so I think that, you know, to say like everyone should just travel, I always feel bad about that because it's not possible for everyone. But, you know, if you could step out of your comfort zone in any way, like even traveling to a more diverse city or um, like other areas of the country, I think is really important. Or one of my goals with Curiosity Magazine was that even if you can't 
travel that hopefully you can still learn something from our stories and it can still open your mind a little bit because a lot of travel magazines are really service oriented. So they're like, go here, eat here, do this. And Mm -hmm. that's great if you're going to travel to the place. But if you are living in like Deerfield, Wisconsin, where I'm from, and you're not planning to travel to like, I don't know, pick somewhere like London London, or something or London. Right. right. Like if you're not planning to travel there, those articles aren't that interesting to you because, Mm -hmm. you know, you're not going. And so, but if you had an article that was about like, here's this farmer in this, in London and here outside of London. And like, here's how Mm -hmm. like his life is impacted by something. Like that's an interesting story, whether you're going to travel there or not. And so that was kind of my hope for the magazine is that like, I know not everyone can travel. I hope that people who can do, or that people, you know, try to make it a priority in their lives. But if they can't, that through this kind of like armchair travel to like reading our stories, they can still like learn about the world. So about the magazine, I was wondering how often you publish. Is it like monthly or how does that go? We have stories since we're online. We have stories that are posted about three times a week, two to three feature stories a week, and then one short food story. So we have a section called Just a Taste that's really short, like two to three paragraph odes to foods around the world that people love. And then every Tuesday, in addition to our feature stories, we have a weekly world briefing, which is just a news roundup of important news happening around the world that is not always travel related. In fact, it's often not travel related. It's just things that you should know. I think that if you're traveling to a country, aside from knowing what you should see and do and eat, it's really important to know you know, who the president is or what current issues are facing that country. And it just makes you a more informed traveler. So that's like really, really important to me whenever I travel somewhere to research kind of current issues and politics. And so through our world briefing, we try to give people a roundup every week of the most important things going on around the world so that you can be a better traveler, which is also our hashtag, by the way, hashtag be a better traveler. So yeah, we have feature stories, just a taste column, the weekly world briefings. And then um, we have other columns here and there. We have one called Unsettled, which is about forced travel around the world. So mostly related to refugee or migration issues. We always think of travel as this really fun, leisurely activity, but for a lot of people, they are traveling because they are forced to be traveling or leaving their homes or to be traveling from place to place. And so that column kind of focuses on those people's stories. And then we have another one called Harmony, which is about music around the world. And so it's just interviews with different musicians worldwide and kind of how music has the power to bring people together. So we have a lot of different articles. Um, Some are more sporadic than others, but usually every week we have at least two feature stories, a short food story, and our weekly world briefing. Okay, that blows my mind. I had no idea (laughs) there was all that the breadth, the breadth of content that you're creating there. It's even better. It's even better than I thought it was, Rebecca. I can't wait to dig in. All right. That's awesome. Well, what I really love about your magazine, so I'm glad you brought it back around to that, is exactly that, that it's not all about paying for the ads for the hotels, you know, like, like all this, it's not all about the luxury. Like when you look at travel magazines so often, it's all luxury travel. And that's Mm -hmm. awesome if you can afford it. But most people can't. But I also like the fact that you're doing what was important to me for travel, which was not going to stay at a hotel and having that, but going to stay in a little town and meeting the local grocery owner and the local yoga instructor and the local farmer. I wanted to meet the people. I wanted to hear their stories. And so you're doing exactly that. In fact, I should probably give you some names of people to talk to. Um, (laughs) But you're doing exactly that. And 
What a gift. Because we, again, and I think we're always questioning what we read anymore, what we see on TV, this whole like fake news thing. And there's just so often where you're like, well, how much of that is even real? But you're creating, you're bringing real stories. I love that. Well, thank you. Yeah, I hope that is true. And I think that you know, there have been some studies about like, if you know someone who is gay, for example, then you're going to be more accepting of gay people. And like, there've been some studies on like, this is a way different issue. Like if you know someone who's had an abortion, you're more likely to be accepting of that. And so like there, I think that if you like know someone from another country, you're more likely to be accepting of, you know, that country, even if it seems like somewhere that's scary or something. Mm -hmm. And so I think that even if you can't know those people, hopefully through knowing their stories and stuff through the magazine, that people will be like, oh, people around the world are the same. Right, right. Just And that's what was really amazing to me. So in this first sort of mastermind group I was in, there were six of us spanning 16 time zones. So like Australia, Serbia, Germany, London, Canada, me, and New Mexico, if that was right. And so what was, you know, just the, the logistics of getting us all on the call at the same time every week was, you know... Uh, an eye opener for yeah. me right there, but also realizing that this like 25 year old woman in Serbia thought very similar to me and I'm in Midwest US and I'm, you know, I have two kids that are, you know, teens at that time. And so just realizing, like seeing the similarities and then hearing the differences and re recognizing what I really appreciated in them that was so different from me. So it was a way to just, you know, build that fabric of connection and that's yeah. exactly how we do it is through storytelling. So I really love that you did this magazine. So how do you um, keep the magazine going? Because it's very new. What else do you do when you're not writing um, the um, magazine? Yeah, so this is the challenge is mm -hmm. that we have, like we mentioned before, local journalists around the world. And so all of our stories are freelance and people just pitch us ideas. And it's really important to me that we pay our writers. And mm -hmm. so we don't pay that much yet. I really, really hope that that can change. But funding it is the biggest challenge. So we people can donate. If anyone wants to donate to the magazine, that'd be great. We have like gear people can buy, like t-shirts and stuff. But, you know, eventually, hopefully we can work with advertisers and things. But in the meantime, I freelance for a bunch of other travel and food publications. And then I also do copywriting for businesses ranging from law offices to travel agencies, uh, hotel brands, a bunch of different stuff. So currently the magazine is staying afloat thanks to my own freelancing, which uh -huh. is fine, but hopefully that can change soon. So yeah. Oh, that's a good, I mean, so it is kind of nice. You've got a lot of control over what you're doing, over how you work, where you work, um, what energy you have or what time you have to put into the magazine as you're growing it. So it sounds like you created a pretty nice setup here. Yeah, it's great. I wish I had way more time to devote to the magazine, but it is really nice being able to freelance and build my own schedule and being able to work from anywhere. Like right now I'm in Chicago, but you know, I work from all over the world, uh, right. which is great. And so, yeah. So how do you manage to get all this time away to travel? When you are traveling, are you working too? Yes, I am always working while traveling, which I don't know if I 100% recommend, um, <laughs> but Yes, I usually try to go places for, you know, if I'm just going somewhere for a weekend, I probably don't work or just for a couple of days because I want to actually experience everything. But usually I go places for a little bit longer. And so then I, you know, set aside a few days to work or I'll like work in the mornings and then go explore in the afternoons and things. So it would be impossible. I think anyone who freelances knows that time is impossible. Like it's really hard to set boundaries when you work for yourself. And mm -hmm. so 
I don't know anyone who's figured that out. And if anyone does have it figured out, you should have them on your podcast because all of my <laughs> friends who freelance, this is a huge problem is, um, yeah, it's really hard to set boundaries and set aside like time when you're not working, especially when it's something that you really enjoy, like travel writing or because the magazine and my own freelance work is about travel. Like when I'm traveling, it's also for work or like often for work. And so you're like doing research, you're doing interviews, you're taking notes, you're taking photos and it's all travel and it's fun, but it's also work. And so it's really hard to blend like or to create lines. Like sometimes if I travel with my boyfriend, I'll be like, okay, for this day, I'm going to like not do work things and like put away my phone and we'll just travel and it'll be great. But for the most part, it's like, well, I'm going to write about it eventually. So I, you know, I totally hear you. I mean, I'm the same way when I travel because I have a regular job. I have the podcast. I do other writing kind of things. So I'm always on. And when I travel with my son, he gets really frustrated by that. And so we do have to make, okay, this, you know, the next six hours, my phone is off. Everything's off. We're just visiting this thing. But it's hard to do that because, and that's, it's like a, it's the double-edged sword, right? I mean, it's so great to be so connected and have all these resources, but at the same time, it's really hard to totally turn off. So that safari thing I told you about, at the lodges, they don't have Wi-Fi. So when you're there, you're off. That's actually so nice. Airplanes are like my favorite place because, you know, (laughs) especially long flights. Like I just came back from Malaysia and it was like 16 hours or something. And it was so nice because like, oh, for 16 hours, I can't do anything. So I can only read or watch movies. And it's amazing. (laughs) Good for you. I pay for the, I pay for the Wi-Fi for the four hour flight to California. (laughs) Yeah. I I like refuse to pay for Wi-Fi. (laughs) Maybe I should start doing that. That's a good idea. So what do you, do you have like a, a moment when you were traveling that just is like the one deepest memory, like life-changing moment in your experiences? I know that's a tough question to ask on the fly, but I think we all do have one. One or two. That is a tough question. Oh, my gosh. As far as life-changing, I don't know about a specific moment. I mean, kind of studying abroad in general, this is really cliche, but studying abroad in general was life-changing. I think probably the first uh, day that we were, you know, like I said, we got there and it was kind of, everything was organized for us for the first few days. And then like the second weekend when we were actually on our own, like the first day wandering around uh, Amman and like, eating like the best hummus I've ever had in my life and Mm -hmm. just kind of being like more alone in this city that was very different than Madison, Wisconsin, where I was coming from was kind of like this weird moment of like, wow, this is something totally different. And we're just walking around by ourselves. And looking back now, that seems like really cliche and like, yeah, of course it was different. But I think at the time that was kind of like a big thing for me. Well, and I want to say it's hard to wrap your head around what that's really like until you actually experience it. Because I had that in Northern California, it's not even another country, but I remember getting off the plane and seeing San Francisco and driving, you know, across the Golden Gate Bridge and going, literally falling in love with it. I've seen that bridge how many times in pictures and movies Mm -hmm. and everything. And I was driving through it and just like fell in love with it. I couldn't get, I couldn't wait to get back and just walk the bridge. And every time I go back there, I'm like, I need to go by my bridge. It's my bridge. (laughs) It's my thing. And it was that moment of like how, where I suddenly realized how until you're actually there and all your senses are lit up, it can never be as good as anything else in a picture or movie or anything. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I don't know what, I mean, I've had like so many really amazing travel moments. I don't know how like life changing they are, but there are definitely a lot of like moments. Usually they revolve around like food and being <laughs> surrounded by like friends, either new friends or friends and just being like, oh, this is, you know, so nice that we're enjoying this 
delicious meal in this other place with people that have a great conversation and stuff. And usually they're all kind of some format of that around the world. Right. Well, that's good. That's a great way to look at it. All right. So let's go on to, let's talk about your three random facts. Have you had a chance to think of them or are you going to just pop them off the top of your head? I guess I'll just pop them off the top of my head. Um, Any random facts at all? Any, like the one that's still like the most recent one that I don't know if we'll top for a while is the one guy who said he's never actually in his life combed his hair. Huh. That's so impressive. (laughs) Or used a comb. I guess it was technically used a comb, but he always just like does the hands through the hair thing his whole life. And he's like 40. So I love that one. (laughs) Okay. Let me think. I, these are not going to be very good. I was in ballet from the time I was three, like through college. And I still take classes whenever I can. It's my like favorite hobby and I love it and miss it. I, I'm extremely addicted to coffee. This isn't really a random fact. Anyone who knows me knows this is true. I have my coffee mug here, and this is like the fourth one I've had this morning. And it's only 11 a.m. and I, yeah, I have to go. I like the second I wake up, go to the kitchen and make coffee. Or like if I'm home, like I, if, like at my parents' house, I'll come downstairs. And my dad will have coffee ready because everyone knows that I am a really bad dude. When we first met, my boyfriend was like, "Okay, every I." will make it my mission to always provide you with coffee and sparkling water. And it's actually so impressive. He has done that. Like every single, (laughs) if we're ever out of coffee, he just buys it without me having to ask. It's amazing. So, um, yeah, coffee is like, I cannot live without it. And, uh, I I should have prepared these before. No, it's okay. While you're thinking with the coffee one though, I'm surprised you haven't been to South America. I know me too. (laughs) (laughs) To go see some, you know, coffee plantations or whatever they call them. Go see firsthand. Definitely, definitely on my list. So ballet Uh, and coffee, those are good. Those are good. Yeah. I hate winter, but this is not that interesting at all. I hate winter, but I'm from a very cold place and I still live in a very cold place. And like, I love the Midwest so much, but I just can never, ever get used to winter. But I don't think I'll ever really, I think I'll always keep coming back here because I really love the Midwest. I guess that's another thing. This isn't really a random fact, but the Midwest is really underrated. And I think that people (laughs) on the coast or outside of the country do not understand that. And people in... A lot of the rest of the world, you know, don't know anything about Wisconsin or even Chicago that much in comparison to New York or California. And I think that it's just a really underrated place and everyone should visit. But that's not really a random well, fact. Well, um, I hate winter, too, so much so that I can't <laughs> even believe I, I would have been gone a long time ago if it weren't for, you know, not being able to make my whole family leave with me. So now I'm going to leave as soon as my son is out of high school. But um, yeah, I I can't take it. I like I get so depressed coming into another winter because I don't like being outside. It's so dark too. And it's cold. Dark at like Four p.m. or something. Yeah, it's, it's raining here again. It's raining here right now again. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> and and rain is okay in California because it's like 65 degrees. But here yeah. it's you know, it's about 35 degrees right now, maybe 40. I don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, I agree that, that people don't understand the Midwest because there is a lot of beauty to it. And Chicago is an amazing city. There's so much mm-hmm. culture there and it's there's so much to offer. Even yeah. Milwaukee. I just went and spent a weekend in Milwaukee last winter. At, it was in winter, unfortunately, but um, <laughs> there was so much to see. I hardly ever go there and explore and it's not that far. Yeah, but, it's a really cool city. They yeah. have great food too. 
They do. I remember. I'm sorry, those were like not good, not good facts. <laughs> those were good facts. I was, I was like, I should have thought of this before. Like you even warned me about this one. And I was like, oh, I'll think of something. It'll be better if I don't think about it ahead of time. That was a terrible idea. No, it, the, there's no judgment on the random facts. They're just facts that wouldn't, like things you probably wouldn't say on, I always say, in a job application or a dating site, you know, things that are just not like your first go-to. It, actually, I recommend it to anybody when you meet someone new, especially if it's online, because people are more open to like, te- like write up the random mm-hmm. facts because they have time to think about them. But if you ask people to tell you 10 random facts, I guarantee you, you will find two that you are, that are mind blowing that you're like, would have never totally guessed true. they would say that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like that. So uh, play that game. It's, I think I'm going to eventually we'll have like a, a card game or some sort of online game. Oh, that would be a fun thing. An online game for random facts. Yeah, we go. that would be yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, this has been so fun, and I, I can't wait to spend more time looking at your magazine. So where can people find yeah. it? So it's curiositymag.com. You can also find us on Instagram at curiosity underscore mag. I am pretty sure. Let me double check that. <laughs> yes, that's right. How, and did, how did you come up with the name, by the way? Well, this isn't that good of an answer. I had a, a blog previously called curiosity and a carry on. And so when I, and that was just me writing about my travels. And then when I decided to transition it into a magazine with other contributors, I dropped the and a carry on part, but also curiosity. I mean, I think that's an essential for travel. You have to be curious and open-minded and like ask questions and you always have a better experience if you are, you know, the more curious you are. And if you're willing to ask people for advice and not just go by, you know, mm-hmm. your guidebook or something, the more, the more that you ask people things and the more that you're open to things, the better experience you'll have. So it seems kind of fitting and I just kept it. I love it. That's what really one of my favorite words, curiosity. Yeah. So I love that. One closing question then. When you travel, do you, you said you don't plan very much, right? You just go. In your experience for your travels, has it gone better when you don't plan or better when you plan? I think better when I don't plan, but by not plan, I guess that doesn't mean I don't research. Like I never plan out like on this day, I'm going to do these things. I used to do that more and it was fine, except for that things like inevitably come up and then you're like, oh, this got messed up and you're like upset about it. When if you just hadn't planned anything, nothing would get messed up. So there are some times if you really need dinner reservations or if you're going to go to a show or something, you need tickets that obviously you need to plan ahead. For the most part, I do a lot of research. Like, okay, these are all the things that I want to see. These are like some of the places I want to eat. These are, you know, like ask people on Instagram or other like local food writers I know and stuff for recommendations and research and just kind of have a long list of like things that I for sure want to see, do or eat. Mm -hmm. And then kind of try to cluster them by neighborhood or whatever. So okay, I'm going to be in this area. It makes sense to kind of check off these things, but not actually plan too much so that if someone else recommends like, oh, you have to go here, then it's really easy to fit it in. And I also walk everywhere when I travel. And I think that is the best way to explore somewhere and also helps you just see a lot more. Like it's, if you're trying to plan, like take a taxi here or take, you know, the Metro here or whatever and get around, it, constricts you a lot more than if you're just walking even if it's like miles and miles and miles a day people who travel with me like either love or hate this like some of my <laughs> friends like oh yes great we walk everywhere and some of them are like you're gonna make us walk again <laughs> so sometimes I feel bad that people should be warned before traveling with me but I really think it makes it a lot easier to see and do a lot of things and you're gonna like stumble upon a lot more or yeah, if someone's like, oh, just go next door to this, like it's easier to just fit things in if you're walking. Yeah. I think for myself, I don't like to plan because it never actually happens. And like you said, then I get really frustrated. But 
I love having the space to just follow what I'm curious about in the moment of that day. So mm-hmm. if I like land upon Crater Lake and there's a big festival in Bend, I'd rather hang out in Bend all day and just listen to music and eat good food than be in a big rush to get to the next thing. But mm-hmm. then sometimes I have that miss I miss out on things because I don't plan I, I get too lost in that, you know, wonderment and then I run out of time for all the things I want to do. Yeah, there's definitely a mix or some things you just have to plan ahead. Like last summer I was in Spain in Granada with two friends and, you know, we didn't plan ahead. And so we hadn't booked tickets to go to the Alhambra, which is like the main thing to do there. And so we couldn't go. And like I had been there before with my brother and so I wasn't that upset, but they were, I think, pretty upset. And I felt bad for them because like, yeah, we should have planned this ahead because it's, you know, summer and it's pretty busy and it's some things you do need to actually get tickets for. So, <laughs> so there's a mix. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, how, how many months a year are you gone out traveling or living elsewhere than Chicago? It kind of depends. Last year I was gone for like seven months straight, but for the most part, it's usually a week or two a month that I'm gone and back. So it kind of probably like 50% of the year I'm gone, but it's, you know, here and there. Whereas like last year was I was gone for seven months straight, which is not normal. Usually it's like a couple weeks here, home for a couple weeks, a couple weeks gone. So, Wow, Rebecca, that's like my dream life right there. It's a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think a lot of people dream of that. Although, although I'm not good at the, I actually like to go, I'm probably more the seven monther, like go somewhere and immerse myself for a while and then come back. I That whole like moving around a lot. Yeah. That. yeah, it's actually, I am trying to travel less now, which <laughs> seems weird, especially because we have so many people writing for us from all over the world. It's like, I don't really need to be doing the writing. I can be writing the magazine and they know more about their countries. They can write about it and I can be here, which is nice because it's been a really, really amazing few years, but also like it gets kind of stressful or mm-hmm. you're just not home. Like it's hard to, um, I think people don't talk about the negative sides of freelancing for travel a lot because, you know, they're far away by the positives, but there are things like you're not home. Like it's hard to maintain friendships, but you're never mm-hmm. there for events and things, or it's hard to like maintain a gym routine or things right. like that, or, you know, right. eat healthily because you're always traveling. And so it's definitely nice to like feel a little bit more settled and be actually right. in an apartment and feel like you actually live somewhere. So a little rooted. Sometimes we need yeah. to feel a little bit rooted and grounded. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun. I'm glad Aaron connected us. And I'm really looking forward to your magazine. And actually, tell me again where people can pitch stories, because I might have some people who want to do that. Yeah, it's pitches at curiositymag.com. And we specifically like stories from local writers that are, you know, highlight something more than just travel and food. So whether it's political issues, social issues, um, environmental issues, anything like that, and told through a travel and food story. Yeah. Do you take submissions from the U.S. as well? Or is it? Yep, yep. Okay. All over the U.S., is, uh, especially, you know, we have someone writing about Charleston and the Gullah Geechee people there. And we have, you know, we're writing stories about the election from Wisconsin, for the midterm elections from Wisconsin and California. Mm-hmm. And so definitely stories from the U.S. Ideally, you will live in the place that you're writing about. But Right. Yeah. Exciting. Okay. I'm so excited about that. Well, thank you again. It was wonderful talking yeah, with you. Yeah, thank you so much. It was great talking with you. All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. This world of ours is so big, and then it feels so small. I mean, seriously, she grew up 10 miles away from here and probably crossed paths with my son somewhere along the way. I was so inspired by her adventurous nature in traveling the world, though. And I really admire how she's bringing so many angles to her magazine. Humanitarianism, ecotourism, travel off the beaten path, and sharing her true love of the world's many wonders. I also am enjoying all the contributing writers' perspectives, 
and, and hope to contribute an article one day myself. It was especially interesting though, speaking with her at this stage of creating her magazine and kind of in the incubator stage where all the pieces are maturing and taking shape. I encourage you to check out her magazine and if you're a traveler who likes to write, send her a story and tell her you heard it here on Glistening Particles, of course. Thanks for listening and remember, I love to hear from you. Email me, jane at glisteningparticles.com. So, are you following your passion, inspiring people, and willing to share your story? Then find me, because that's what I do. And remember, keep up with all the news by visiting glisteningparticles.com and signing up for the newsletter where you'll get the inside scoop on where I'll be wandering next, some guest updates, and the latest random acquaintance story. For up-to-the-moment shenanigans, follow the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you see me post from down the road at your local diner, be sure to drop everything and come say hi, because I love to meet the listeners. Until next time, keep shining. Keep shining.